Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin and how did they end? Let's find out on episode 65, The Barbarian Invasion. Previously on the Fan of History, Urartu, Proto-Armenia, was defeated by Sargon II, King of Assyria, in 1714 BC. Well, Dan, we, we promised the people some exciting stuff in this episode. Yes, it's the barbarian invasion. What can be more exciting than that? It's like they should make movies about it or something. Yeah, I would love to see that. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to talk a bit about the Patreon first, patreon.com slash fanofhistory, where you can support us. If you really like our show, we really like your support. And if we get to $30, we are currently at $27, so we only need three more people to give us a dollar an episode. Then we will continue past 71 BC and the destruction of Sennacherib. And we are in 714 BC, and we were in 714 BC last episode. Uh, so we are very close. Uh, okay, the king of the week is Sargon II. We have had Sargon around for a while now. He took power in 722 BC. He had all those initial setbacks with rebellions in the east, west, <laughs> and the south. And so far, the wars has been going pretty well. Last episode, we pacified Urartu, and the king of Urartu took his life. Two powerful enemies of Sargon remain. It's Merodach Baladan, the king of Babylonia, mm-hmm. and King Midas of Phrygia. But today, we have to talk about the Assyrian worldview, or the Mesopotamian worldview. This worldview was shared by the Babylonians. Um, so the civilized world, according to the Assyrians, is the Neo-Assyrian Empire, and it's bordered by some other civilized states such as Urartu, Phrygia, Egypt, maybe Mania, no, not really Mania, Elam, and Babylonia. 
to the east, there are the Sagros Mountains of Iran. And in the mountains, there lives uh, barbarians, which are like half civilized, the Persians and the Medes, mostly. And the Assyrians eye them with uh, suspicion. They know that these are barbarians that know civilization. They have been to civilization. They have seen civilization. But they are still barbarians. And then the Assyrians are convinced that beyond the Persians and the Medes, there lives the Umen Manda, the horde from God knows where, the people <laughs> at the edge of the world. And the, a big characteristic of the Umanda is that they speak a language that no civilized man could ever understand. But the Persian and the Medes, they can speak to them. And this is what makes the Persian and the Medes suspicious. Because they are like half barbarians. But these people that sort of, they are numberless and they are everywhere and nobody wants to go there. Um, and the Assyrians are kind of correct. Now we have to repeat stuff we talked about in the 750s episode when we talked about Greek writing. We mentioned what's happening on the Russian steppes. We have two huge groups of steppe nomads. And these are people living on horseback, very reliant on their horse. Um, and they have the entire Russian steppe to hang around on. Uh, the two main groups are the Scythians and the Cimmerians. Scythian is a very unclear term and very influenced by Greek historians who don't really know what they're talking about. <laughs> and they are later than this. Uh, the Scythians uh, are probably Indo-Europeans. Uh, and they pressure the Cimmerians they intend to take over the Cimmerians' passengers. And the Scythians are more powerful and numerous than the Cimmerians. But uh, we have to talk about the Cimmerians because they are now going to try to flee from the Scythians and they flee straight into our story. Um, if you go back through, or, uh, of course the Cimmerians don't have writing. So we have to go back through archaeology to try to identify them. And there is an archaeological culture called the catacomb culture that we believe are the Cimmerians. The Greek historians try to tell us that the Cimmerians come in two tastes, equal in numbers. And they name them the royal race of Cimmerians and the Cimmerian people. And there must have been some sort of antagonism between these two breeds of Cimmerians. And they never blend into a single nation in the second millennium BC. A credible suggestion is to link the royal race of Cimmerians with the median line of early Western Iranians who imposed themselves upon part of the catacomb people in the 13th and 12th century BC, so long, long before this. Uh, the home area of the royal race is the North Pontic steppes, east of the Dnieper River and the Crimea. So very close to our uh, neck of the woods. <laughs> uh, but the Cimmerians are fleeing from the Scythians, and they are actually fleeing 
in both directions around the Black Sea. So they are going west, north of the Black Sea, into Trace, and they are going south into the mountains. And the small northern kingdoms of the Caucasus Mountains, they are no match for the Cimmerian Horde. And the first target then becomes Urartu. So Urartu will take the full brunt of the Cimmerian invasion. But this invasion isn't a planned event. It's just, oh, we are running from the Scythians. Hey, these guys look soft. They are no Scythians. <laughs> let's beat them up. Um, so let's look at this from an Urartian perspective and back up a bit to before the Battle of Uishdish that we covered in the last episode. Rusa was still the king of Urartu. And probably early in 714 BC, the Cimmerians invade North Urartu. And North Urartu has been like the safe area of Urartu. This is where they get all their wine, iron, natural resources. And it was far away from the reach of the Assyrians. So this was considered a safe area. There were only these small mountain kingdoms that could threaten Urartu. They couldn't really threaten Urartu. But Rusa is preparing to meet this Assyrian attack on Mania that we discussed in the last episode. So an invasion from the north is totally unexpected and incredibly bad for Urartu. And probably the reason why Sargon could win the war in the last episode. Because Urartu was very distracted. But oh, it turns that, yeah, worse. I say that, that makes sense. It's like, yes. why did it seem so... I don't want to say easy, but... It seems like it should have been harder. But it was even worse than that, because a rebellion broke out in Kakadanu, in a part of Urartu. So there's a civil war in Urartu as well. So Rusa was distracted not only by a barbarian invasion, but also because of this civil war. And Rusa's own Turtano, his commander-in-chief, his field marshal, with support of five provincial governors, seized power in Urartu. And Rusa had to fight a bloody civil war, all in 714 BC. He captured Kakadanu and massacred 100 governors and officials. And there, of course, as the Urartians always copy the methods of the Assyrians, they now have two field marshals, just like the Assyrians. But the second field marshal, Ursinu, he's also captured because Rusa is convinced that he too is a traitor. And then, after winning the civil war, Rusa turned south to meet Sargon. So his army was depleted by barbarian invasions. The barbarian invasion is still going on, but he has to turn away from it to meet this threat from Sargon. And I think that is why Rusa lost the war. Uh, he probably chose to deal with Sargon before the Cimmerians, because if he could defeat Sargon, he could, like, use the resources of the Assyrians to defeat the barbarians. Right. Uh, but a defeat of the Cimmerians would probably mean that there would just be another wave of Cimmerians. So that wouldn't give him anything. Uh, at the Battle of Uishdish, then, from, uh, from Rusa's perspective, his army was routed, he fled to the mountains, and then Sargon ravaged the heartland of Urartu. Uh, and then, okay, when Sargon goes away, Musasir falls, 
And then perhaps Rusa could focus on fighting the Cimmerians. So after Sargon leaves, Rusa marches to face the Cimmerians. And um, Sargon has spies in Rusa's army. And we have a letter from Sargon's daughter, Nabulei. She's writing to Sennacherib, her brother, hmm. okay. about these events in Urartu. And, um... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. In this battle against the Cimmerians, the Urartian army is thrown back. Nice nine of Rusa's governors are slain. And Rusa has to flee into the mountains again. And this is when he learns that Musasir has fallen and when he kills himself. So you kind of understand Rusa much better when you know about this barbarian invasion. Right, that makes way more sense. And this double catastrophe of barbarians and Assyrians, it's like too much for him. So he dies and Argishti II takes over the throne of Urartu. And of course, by this point, Sargon has gone back to Assyria. So Argishti has to focus on saving his country from the Cimmerians. And this is why there is peace on the Assyrian-Russian uh, border. Uh, we have an interesting uh, record in, still in 714 BC, about an Assyrian master spy in Urartu. Because we have all these letters from this from the time of Sargon, and there yeah. is a guy called uh, Ashurisua, who is kind of the the famous master spy in Urartu. He has been in Urartu for a very long time, and his cover works, so he must appear like an Urartian. And we have several reports from this spy Ashurisua. And at one point, he reminds Sargon about how long his service to Assyria has been. And it seems that his service has been longer than the reign of Sargon. So he has been providing spy reports for Shalmaneser V and for Tiglath-Pileser III as well. 
Um, the, this, this guy is good. <laughs> yeah, this guy is good, and I wonder, and he still sticks around in Urartu while the Cimmerians are invading, so he can report on it. And that's, uh, I don't know what happens to him later, but uh, it's an interesting sort of piece of information. The Cimmerian invasion isn't planned. They are just going anywhere they feel. So, of course, they spill out of Urartu to the west, into Phrygia. Into King Midas' kingdom. And King Midas also is distracted by this Cimmerian invasion. And for the rest of this decade, for the rest of the 710s, King Midas will uh, hold the Cimmerians at bay. He will not be defeated by the Cimmerians, but uh, he is unwilling to assist the Rartu. And he still really hasn't given up on making life miserable for Sargon II. And this might have been the reason why King Midas never brings Phrygian troops into battle with the Assyrians. Because he needs all the Phrygian troops on the border to defend against the Cimmerian invasion. Which he might very well have been aware of long before we are. Uh, but he still wants to make the Assyrian vassals in Anatolia, in the borderland between Assyria and Phrygia, rebel and make life miserable for Sargon because uh, Midas fears Sargon. Uh, let's talk a bit about the Siberian invasion into Thrace. In Thrace, I, I talked to, uh, I got some feedback on the show from a listener and he talked about why, why do, aren't you talking more about Thrace? Thrace is then Bulgaria and Romania, pretty much, the, the western shores of the Black Sea. Okay. And the problem is that we, nobody in Thrace knows how to read and write. And we, we have to cover history in this show. We, we talk about archaeology every now and then, but the picture you get from archaeology is not really what we are looking for. And in Thrace, we don't have any recorded history. We don't, for example, the archaeological record can't tell us how many Cimmerians turned this way. And it's very hard to tell the difference between the Cimmerians and the Scythians uh, that come later. But we have some records from the Greeks, recorded much later, of course, as the Greeks are not interested in history at this point. But they tell the legend of an invasion by barbarians. Strabo the Greek historian, he states that the Trieres and the Edones, two Thracian tribes, that they were Cimmerian allies in the attacks to come in Asia Minor, because the Cimmerians will go through Thrace and invade Asia Minor from the west. And this will happen in 700 to 650 BC. And these Trieres and the Edones, they are on the side of the Cimmerians. Uh, so we find some records of Cimmerians uh, in Turkey itself uh, on the west coast later. But more about that when uh, uh, later on, because this invasion has changed the political landscape, just like we promised. Because from now on, the invasion of steppe nomads will be a big factor. And it, the problem isn't really the Cimmerians. The problem is the Scythians, and they are right on the heels of the Cimmerians. They're like, where did those guys go that we used to beat up? Let's follow them. And the Scythians will uh, 
do a really, really big invasion of the entire Mesopotamian world, and they will reach as far as Egypt itself, which will be an enormous disaster. Right. That's pretty amazing that, you know, someone that they would call barbarians, I'm not sure of their full capabilities, but, you know, you have this sort of nomad tribe that can come in and totally wreck so many established civilizations. And this has happened before. It has happened before 1000 BC, but these were barbarians that were much closer. They were barbarians from the Sagros Mountains. But the steppe nomads hasn't invaded like this. And this is very similar to the invasion of the Huns much later and the invasion of the Mongols. Mm -hmm. But Assyria will thrive from this in a way. Because remember, the Assyrian way to do battle is focused so much on the bow that they fight using bow and arrow. They use uh, chariots as firing platforms. Mm -hmm. Everybody is focused on shooting arrows. And this is exactly what you need when you're fighting the steppe nomads who are very good at uh, firing bows and arrows. So um, the, the normal way that the steppe nomads win against any conventional Mesopotamian army is that they stay out of reach and kill you with arrows. But that doesn't really work against the Assyrian army. And we will see future Assyrian kings use these barbarian invasions to their benefit, kind of. So it will be an interesting time now that the barbarians are on the scene. That is interesting. In this entire episode, I want to point out that I made no Conan references whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me neither. It's fantastic. Crom. <laughs> yeah, no crom, no calling out, no quoting from the movie. <laughs> the real of steel. <laughs> oh, good is a sword against sorcery. <laughs> yes. The uh, what is best in life. <laughs> oh man yes we could go on and on about yeah. various movies especially but I'm afraid that brings us to the end of this episode oh no uh, yeah I'm afraid so but in our next episode so far the Sumerian invasion has helped Sargon II next time Sargon will try to mop up operations and finally gain control of the full empire of Tiglath-Pileser III. And this is, of course, bad news for Merodach Baladan, who has been hanging around in Babylonia, being the king of Babylonia, and Sargon hasn't had time to deal with him. But now maybe he has. There's coming a reckoning. Yeah. All right, please go to our YouTube like and subscribe and share tell your friends about tell your friends about this show give us a review on itunes we will read those reviews even if you say bad things about us also facebook.com slash fan of history patreon.com slash fan of history if you would like this podcast to continue we would very much appreciate your help 
Also, if you want to follow Dan on Twitter, it's at Dan Horning. If you want to follow me, I am at Cerulean Says Hi. So I have a shout out. Oh yeah, please. I would like to shout out the podcast History of Ancient Greece because I talked to the guy who makes it. Uh, and uh, I asked him what he thought about our coverage of the First Mycenaean War, the Lelantine War, and other archaic Greece stuff. And he gave us um, a good grade. So, yay! <laughs> All right. So, for this week, I am Brennan. And I'm Dan. And this has been The Fan of History. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.